As followers of Jesus, we must beware hypocrisy, fear God, and acknowledge Christ. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. You know, when people are surveyed and they are asked why they don't go to church, what would you say is one of the most common answers given? And I'll give you a little hint here. They say, well, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites, right? Hypocrites. Is that true? You think, is the church full of hypocrites? Well, sadly, it is true that some people in our churches are hypocrites. There are hypocrites in churches, aren't there? Absolutely. And it is also true that the church is full of people, including me, who do not perfectly live up to the perfect standard of God's righteousness. Is that true as well? That is true. Does that mean, though, that the church is full of hypocrites? No, it doesn't. But that said, as believers, we would all do well to examine ourselves on this accusation and to ask if we might be fairly accused of hypocrisy, and if so, endeavor to rid ourselves of it. So let's talk for a little bit about that word hypocrisy. What is it? And how might we avoid it in our lives? You know, hypocrisy can be defined as pretending to be what one is not or to believe what one does not or behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel. It comes from a Greek word, hypocrisis, which meant to play a part on a stage. It is a word that came from the world of Greek theater where a person would take a mask and put that mask over their face and they would pretend and play a part, pretend to be someone they were not in a stage production. So it was just putting on that mask and playing a part, playing a role. We say, well, you know, well, that's fine when we're talking about a stage play. But in the world of real life, hypocrisy can have devastating consequences, can it? Hypocrites can bring painful consequences down upon themselves, but also can hurt other people as well. So, yes, there are hypocrites in the church, just as there are hypocrites in every organization which is composed of fallen, finite human beings. But let's endeavor here amongst ourselves. Let's endeavor not to be one of them. We're continuing here in our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a harmony of the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ, the putting together of his ministry from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the order is suggested in this book called One Perfect Life by John MacArthur. We're continuing here in our series today, looking at this issue of hypocrisy and humanity. And if you have your Bibles, our text is going to be taken from Luke chapter 11, verse 37 through 12, chapter 12, verse 12. And so what's the big idea 
What is the main idea or the key thought that I want us to take away from this message today? And it is this. As followers of Jesus, we must beware hypocrisy, fear God, and acknowledge Christ. If we are going to be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must beware hypocrisy, fear God, acknowledge Christ. Little context before we look at our text here. Jesus had once again been confronted by the Pharisees who pointed accusing fingers at him. Now they could not deny the power of Christ in the things that they were seeing. They could not deny that he was, in fact, casting out demons, and that took power to do that. Where was he getting this power? Well, they reasoned, obviously, he could not be doing this by the power of God because he's, they thought, he's a a false teacher and a blasphemer. But that power's got to be coming from somewhere to do that, to cast demons out. So he must be getting that power from Satan. But Jesus points out the absurdity of that thinking as Satan would be divided against himself, a house divided against itself, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. But amazingly though, despite all of these signs and wonders that Jesus performed among the people, many insisted that he still needed to do more, do more to prove that he was the Messiah. And so Jesus declared that that wicked generation would receive no sign except the sign of Jonah. And the sign of Jonah was what? It was a reference to what great miracle of Jesus? The resurrection, right? That just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so too Jesus would be in the grave for three days and three nights before rising. But while he was speaking then, a Pharisee invited him to dinner. So I want us to look at our text then, starting in Luke chapter 11, verse 37. And for today, I'm using the New Living Translation because I think it does a very good job of making some of these phrases and these understandings and and traditions. It does a very good job of making the meaning of the text crystal clear for us today, for our modern ears. And so as we read, I have a little challenge for you. I want you to listen carefully to this and see if you can identify, as we are reading through this, if you can identify some of the various motives and actions in the lives of the Pharisees and the religious teachers that were evidence of hypocrisy in their lives. See if you can spot hypocritical motives or attitudes and hypocritical actions then that spring from those attitudes, our motives then. Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 37. We're told here, as Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, 
and you will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees? For you are careful to tithe, even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. Teacher, said an expert in religious law, you have insulted us, too, in what you have just said. Yes, said Jesus, what sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law. For you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. What sorrow awaits you? For you build monuments for the prophets your own ancestors killed long ago. But in fact, you stand as witnesses who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you join in their crime by building the monuments. This is what God in his wisdom said about you. I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and persecute the others. As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all God's prophets from the creation of the world, from the murder of Abel to the murder of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law? For you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves and you prevent others from entering. As Jesus was leaving, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. They wanted to trap him into saying something they could use against him. I want to see first here some wicked motives, wicked hypocritical motives that drove these Pharisees. First off, right from the beginning here, we see a legalistic attitude on the part of this Pharisee who invited Jesus to dinner. Now, legalism isn't the same thing as hypocrisy, but it is not unusual to see hypocrisy where there is legalism, right? And so Jesus is invited to this dinner, and the Pharisee is surprised that Jesus is not performing the traditional hand-washing ceremony before eating the meal. He didn't wash his hands. Now, I want you to know, this is not about hygiene or basic cleanliness. He was not saying, Jesus, you know, just like, didn't your mama teach you to wash your hands before you eat, right? We were all taught that. This was not the issue. It wasn't washing your hands like we would before a dinner. This was an elaborate ritual that was involved to go through. And this was a tradition among them, but it was a tradition in their way that they had elevated to the same level as 
the law of God. And they, they put them on the same level. And so to violate their traditions was to violate the word of God in their minds. And so here is this great rabbi who's claiming to be Messiah, and you're violating the traditions here. So this was not Jesus failing to hygienically wash his hands. It was failing to live up to the tradition that they had elevated to the level of the word of God. And all this was doing then, the Pharisees, had, they had made up this and many other things, added them to God's word. And all it was doing was to increase the burden of the law on people. Is there a burden? Does God's word and the truth of what God says is right and wrong, good and bad, does that not weigh heavily on us? It does, doesn't it? But they were just making it even heavier and harder for the people with all the things they were adding on to it that God had never said. So I challenged you earlier to identify some hypocritical motives or attitudes in this passage. What wicked motives did you see there on the part of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Well, first, here's something I think is possible. It's possible that there was a wicked motive, a hypocritical motive, right there at the start, simply by the fact of the Pharisee inviting Jesus to dinner. Why do you think that he invited Jesus? Was it because this Pharisee, he wanted to honor Jesus and to learn more from him? He wanted him to see him make a mistake. He wanted to see if he could trip him up, right? So I don't think it's likely he was doing this because he wanted to honor Jesus at this meal. I think it was more likely that he was looking for something to use against him, that he could trip Jesus up or accuse him. And so, playing a part, he says, under the guise of a friendship and hospitality, the Pharisee's real motive was to find a basis for accusation. What might have been, what are some other motives, though, that are clearly identified there for some wicked motives? Well, second, Jesus speaks of greed, the wicked motive of greed, that that was within them, and it was seen then, for example, in their failure to care for the poor, to give to the poor. They were motivated and driven by greed. We also see then that they loved the acclaim of men. They loved to be honored. They loved the positions of honor. They loved to receive these elaborate greetings in the marketplaces. You see, they were more concerned about receiving honor from one another than they were by being honoring to God and being honored by God. Fourth then, they had then too had an attitude of wicked indifference to the spiritual welfare of the people. See, they were supposed to be the spiritual leaders and examples and guardians of the people, the shepherds of the people. They were supposed to care for the people of Israel, watch out for their well-being, spiritually feed them and nurture them. But instead, what was it? It all become about themselves and their own wants and their own needs. And they didn't care 
about the spiritual welfare of the people. Some spiritual shepherd, right, that doesn't care about the people. Finally, then, too, the text clearly identifies the wicked motive of wanting to entrap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. And so these wicked motives and attitudes lay behind their various hypocritical actions. So these are some wicked motives. Let's take a look then at some of those wicked actions, some of those wicked and hypocritical things they did. Jesus says, you Pharisees, you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. They were very concerned about all the laws, about dishwashing and everything, wanted to make everything, all those, those things look nice and clean, the dishes, but inside they're full of greed and wickedness. In other words, what? They were very concerned about outward appearances, how things look to people, but inside in their hearts, not so much concerned about that. They were full of greed and wickedness. And they demonstrated that greed. How? Jesus says, so clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you will be clean all over. Now Jesus is not saying, hey, if you just give money to someone, if you give money to the poor, well then you're clean, then you're righteous inside too. No, he was saying what? Their failure to do this was an evidence that they were not clean. Can someone give money yet still be very wicked and greedy on the inside? Absolutely they can. If they're doing it for the wrong motive, right? They're doing to show how generous they are, how good they are, right? That's not the right motive. But in this case, Jesus is saying, you know, if you were to give from the right motive, then you, this would show that you are clean on the inside. And it's not just about outward appearances for people the way it is for you now. So they neglected the poor. They neglected to care for them. But then also, though, they were very good. It makes the law required tithing, giving 10% of all that they had. And so they made sure, even down to the tiniest little portion of their income, they made sure that they were tithing every little bit of it. But even as they were concerned to be doing that, meanwhile, they were ignoring the justice and the love of God. Well, they made sure to give God his portion, that 10%. But then they did nothing to help alleviate the suffering of others. But Jesus tells them, do both. It's not one or the other. Do both. Tithe as an expression of what? Of honoring God. But then also what? Give to others. Give to the poor as an expression of the love of God. As I said, they loved the honor and the acclaim of men. They would sit in seats of honor in the synagogues. Now, when you came in here this morning, you, I know everybody kind of has their, their chairs where they like to sit, right? Some of you, I say, I know exactly where you're going to be every week. And yep, there you are, every week, okay? Some of you like to move around a little bit and fool me, you know, here. But I, I, I catch you there, you know. But... In those days, there were special seats in the synagogue. These are the, where the important people sat, right? And so they loved to sit in the important seats. And then they loved when they would be out and about in the marketplace. Oh, 
good afternoon, fine sir, and, and honoring one another. And they liked being honored like that and seeing others honor them in that way. They liked being important. So they would do that. But Jesus warns them, saying, Only sorrow awaits you. Judgment is coming upon you. Woe to you. Look out. And then he says something that sounds maybe a little strange to our ears. But he says, you guys, you're you're like unmarked, you're like the hidden graves in a field, an unmarked grave in a field that people walk over you without knowing the corruption they're stepping on. What? You see, in, in those days, in the Jewish tradition there, one had to be careful to avoid graves or the, because one could become ceremonially, ceremonially unclean or defiled by being too close to a dead body. So they would avoid graves. And graves, of course, would be very carefully marked so that you could avoid that and you did not want to become ceremonially unclean or defiled from that. But he says, you Pharisees, by the way you act, what you're doing to people, you're like an a hidden grave or an unmarked grave. So out in a field, so what? People are walking on it and they don't even know they're standing right on top you know, of, of a dead body that's buried just below there. And by the law, they would become ceremonially unclean, but they don't even know it because it's not hidden. Well, Jesus is saying, you're like that, but, uh, but the people, they're not just becoming, they're not ceremonially unclean. What? They're becoming actually unclean and filthy inside because they're seeing how you're living and they're imitating you and your attitudes. It says, but only sorrow will await you. Only judgment would await them. And so by following the example of the Pharisees, the people were becoming corrupted themselves. And they didn't even know it. Because, well, there are spiritual leaders. They didn't know. But then also what? They would crush people with unbearable religious demands. And you never lift a finger to ease the burden. So rather than encouraging and helping people to understand and obey the law, you see, a good spiritual shepherd doesn't just increase the burden on people. The good spiritual shepherd what helps people to understand what the word of God is saying and then to respond in faith and obedience to that. But they weren't doing that. They were just making it even harder for the people to understand, harder for the people to respond in faith and obedience. They were crushing them with more and more demands with no help or no encouragement at all for them to obey says, what sorrow awaits you? What judgment awaits you? Woe to you. And they were building monuments for the prophets, which, well, what's wrong with that? Well, again, in the context here, these prophets were people that, that, that God had sent to his people, Israel, years before, but his people didn't receive him, and they killed some of them, persecuted others of them, and now they're, they're wanting to build these monuments to honor these prophets, and yet the attitude that their ancestors had that resulted in killing and persecuting the prophets God had sent, they had the very same attitude. So it was hypocritical. They're honoring these prophets, and yet had they lived back then, they would have been doing the same thing. They had the same attitude as those previous generations. 
In fact, he even declares that they're they're guilty of the, as those generations that that had murdered God's prophets, beginning with righteous Abel in Genesis, all the way through to the man Zechariah. From Abel to Zechariah, I love it's A to Z, right? <laughs> By the way, though, this Zechariah that's referenced here is not the Zechariah of the book of Zechariah in our scriptures. This is a different Zechariah. This is a different Zechariah whose murder is recorded in the book of Second Chronicles. You might think, well, wait a minute. Second Chronicles, okay, Abel's in Genesis. Second Chronicles, that's kind of like in the middle of the Old Testament. That's not at the very end. Well, in the English Bible arrangement of the Hebrew Scriptures, yes, Second Chronicles is in the middle. But in the arrangement that the Jews of that day had in the Hebrew Scriptures, Genesis, yes, that was first the first book, of course. Second Chronicles was the last book. So it would be like us referring if in our day in the New Testament, saying referring to an incident that incurs in Genesis and, con- and concludes with a similar incident in Revelation. The, what, they had persecuted the prophets from Genesis to Revelation, is what we would say in our day here. And they had also, they had removed the key to knowledge from the people. That is, they kept them by their teaching, by their example, had kept the people from properly understanding the word of God. Do you think God takes that very seriously on the part of shepherds who hide or keep people from understanding the word of God? They do. Now, that's a responsibility we need to take seriously, isn't it? That is why we were talking a little bit earlier in, in Wonder Lake Bible Institute earlier this morning there, that it's like... Uh, was joking with Don and said, Don, you know, he, he, he came and he sat in my seat. And you believe this? He came in and he sat in my seat in the, in the room there where we were about to have our, our, our Bible study there. Almost. He almost sat in my seat. And so I said, ah, you want to sit in the seat of Moses, right? Uh, Jesus says these, these hypocrites, these Pharisees like to sit in the seat of Moses, like to have the, the honor and the authority of being in the teacher's position in the synagogue, you know? And Don said, oh, no, I don't want that, you know? You don't want to sit in the seat of Moses. You don't want to deal with all the people's complaints, you know, and all that. And, and I said, well, yeah, that's true. But, you know, the other thing is the other reason you don't want to sit in the seat of Moses is because who do you think God holds responsible for that, for sitting in the seat of Moses, what, sitting in the place of the teacher of the people. God holds that person responsible and accountable for what they do, for how they teach what they teach. And not just what they teach, but what, how they, how they live, but the example of their life, not just what they say. That's a fearsome thing. But they wanted all of that. They wanted those seats. They wanted that position of honor but they were bringing judgment upon themselves, though, because they didn't care about the people. They were setting a terrible example for the people. And then the most fearsome or fearful thing of all, not only were they keeping the people from understanding the word of God, says Jesus tells them that they did not enter the kingdom of heaven and by their actions, they were preventing others from entering the kingdom as well. Wow. Wow. We see their wicked motives. We see their wicked actions. But we also see their wicked anger there. 
As Jesus was leaving, we're told the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, they became hostile. Surprised? Anybody surprised they became a little hostile? Jesus saying those things to him? And they tried to provoke him with many questions. They wanted to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. We see their wicked anger here. They were being called out, and they didn't like it. So here we see hypocrisy on display. Wicked motives, wicked actions, wicked anger. But earlier I asked them, how can we avoid hypocrisy? Well, I think our text in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, gives us here some keys. It gives us three keys to avoiding hypocrisy. Three keys to avoiding hypocrisy. Let's look at Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1. We're told there, Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. We're told what? Fear God, but don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. So I think here are three keys for us in avoiding hypocrisy. The first key to avoiding hypocrisy is to beware. Beware hypocrisy. That is what? Be aware of it and actively on the lookout for it in our lives. Are you capable of hypocrisy? Am I? Absolutely. If we're going to be honest, have we all probably been hypocritical at one time or another in our lives? Probably, right? So beware of it. Be actively on the lookout for, us, for it. Beware of this hypocrisy. Beware of the bad influence of it. Be aware of it. Watch out for it. Choose not to 
emulate it or imitate it. And Jesus warns, the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, all that is secret will be made known, whatever has been said in the dark will be heard in the light, whatever has been whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops. Those are some very uncomfortable words, aren't they? What is Jesus saying there? I think he's saying, look, the, the fact is the time has come. When God is going to reveal all, there really are no secrets. Yeah, we may have secrets right now, we think, but God knows it all. God sees it all. And the time is coming when the truth is going to be made known about all of that. And so these hypocrites, they think they're getting away with this. They're not. Everything they've done in secret, everything that's been said behind that's going to be revealed because God is a just judge and he will judge righteously and reveal. Now some people, well, wait a minute, what about the believer? Is this, does this mean if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, does this mean that everything I've ever said or done, or that, that's not going to be revealed for the, everybody to hear? My answer to that is, I'm not sure. Maybe. Maybe. Here's what I do know. I do know that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, every sin that you've ever committed, every one that I've ever committed, and that every thought, everything has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and it is forgiven. It has been removed from us, Right? But I do know that the time is coming when, believers, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But that judgment seat is not to punish us for our sins. Those are forgiven. But God will review our lives for the purpose of reward. And those things that were useless and for ourselves, and well, that's all going to be burned away. And so perhaps in the process of the burning away of those useless things, might things be revealed? Maybe, I don't know. But, but whatever is revealed of our sins at the judgment seat of Christ, it will be revealed as forgiven for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ, right? That's what I do know. So beware hypocrisy. Fear God. Don't fear others. Don't live for the acclaim or, or, or look to, to others and want others' respect, honor, but rather what? Live for God and fear God. The second key then to avoiding hypocrisy is to fear God. To fear what? It's an awesome respect for the holiness and the righteousness and the justice of God. Men can kill the body. People can persecute. They can kill. But God has the power, not just over the body, he has the power over the soul or the spirit to cast that person into hell, eternal punishment. There's the one you ought to fear, not people. So beware hypocrisy. Fear God. But interestingly, we're told, though, as we fear God, don't be afraid, though. Fear God, show awesome, you know, show that respect for him. But at the same time, recognize God's love for you and God's concern for you. If God knows about the sparrows, he certainly knows about you. In fact, the hairs on your head are numbered. And as I often like to say, God's job of keeping track of the hairs on my head gets easier every day, right? <laughs> 
So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. So fear God, but don't be afraid because you know God's love and concern for you. Finally then, the third key to avoiding hypocrisy is to acknowledge Christ. That is, we acknowledge him. We acknowledge our need for him. We acknowledge our constant need for him. Did you need Jesus when you came to that point in your life in which you repented of sin and believed in him and received forgiveness and eternal life? Of course you did. But you still need him, and I still need him every day, don't we? So we acknowledge him, and then we proclaim him to others. Notice that we acknowledge him, we proclaim Christ, not ourselves. We proclaim Christ to others. I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul speaks to this point when he says, and he's speaking Paul, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Jesus says, what, those who acknowledge me here on earth, he will acknowledge before the angels of heaven. Those who speak against him, the Son of Man, that can be forgiven in our ignorance and foolishness. But those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What is that? It's saying when the Holy Spirit is moving and working in a person's life to bring them to that encounter with the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is, but they blaspheme, they they speak evil of that, and they reject that, well, there can be no forgiveness for that because there's only one unforgivable sin. And what's the unforgivable sin? Unbelief, rejection, right? And that's, I think, what Jesus is speaking to here. So how do we avoid hypocrisy? Well, first of all, beware it. Beware of it. Be leery of it. Fear God rather than men. And acknowledge Christ. We acknowledge our need for him, but we proclaim Christ. We don't proclaim ourselves to others. We proclaim Christ to others. I want to talk for a moment here then about what I'm calling hypocrisy and humanity. I want us to know, folks, there is a difference, a world of difference between being a hypocrite and simply being a flawed, imperfect human being who is not always going to live up to the perfect standards of God, right? There is not a perfect one here in this room. There's only one who is perfect, and that is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because you fail sometimes, and I fail sometimes, that doesn't make you a hypocrite. That's something quite different. Hypocrisy, what is a willful and deliberate lifestyle and choice. Would you say that the Apostle Paul was a hypocrite? I wouldn't. But yet, what do we read there in Romans chapter 7 where he speaks of that great battle or struggle within where he says, I don't understand myself. I want to do what's right, but I don't do the right. Instead, I do what I hate. He acknowledges that he too battles 
with the flesh, with that sinful nature within us that wants to do the wrong and leads us into doing the wrong. And it's a struggle. It's a fight. But you know what? That's the difference between the hypocrite and the faithful follower of Jesus. The hypocrite is not a struggle. (laughs) For the faithful follower, it is a struggle and it is a fight. So because you struggle with sin, and I do, doesn't mean we're hypocrites. It just means that the salvation, that our salvation in Christ is not yet complete and what it will be one day in his presence when we will no longer struggle with that. So a hypocrite continually, willfully lives in such a way that is at odds with their professed values and beliefs. There's no acknowledgement of sin. In fact, there's probably self-righteousness. So a hypocrite then is not someone who's struggling to overcome temptation and sin and fails. So if you're failing to perfectly uphold God's word, and I know you are because I am too, and if you're seeking to grow in righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not a hypocrite. You're simply a flawed human being who has been given the gift of perfect righteousness in Christ and who will one day be perfect in practice as Christ is perfect. So thank God for his mercy and his grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. So what? What do you want me to do with this? Take us where we started. What's the big idea? Well, as followers of Jesus, we must beware hypocrisy. Fear God and acknowledge Christ. So I would challenge us here then today. Fear God and praise God for his mercy. To live in that righteous fear of God's holiness and God's justice. But don't be afraid of God because he's also merciful and gracious. Fear God, but also praise God for his mercy. Walk with integrity and transparency. Choose, beware of hypocrisy. Choose to walk with integrity, that is internal honesty, being honest with yourself, honest with God, honest with others, and transparency. When I say transparency, that does not mean, if someone is being transparent, that does not mean you reveal every single thing about yourself to every single person in your life. That, <laughs> that's not good. How many of you are glad that, uh, that everybody in here doesn't know everything about you, right? We, gotta, we get a few hands up for that, right? Being transparent doesn't mean sharing everything you've ever done, thought, it, you know, with everybody you know. No, transparency means what? that there are people in our lives like that with whom we can be on. And yeah, there should be. There should be someone in our lives with whom we can be totally open and honest. Being transparent then means this too. Well, it doesn't mean we reveal everything about our lives, but it means what we're honest with. We are honest with everybody in our lives and acknowledging. You don't have to go into details and specifics. I mean, you say, you know what? Yeah, I've, I've struggled with that too, or I still struggle with that too. And being honest with people about that, I think that's very encouraging for people to hear that, don't you think? To know you're not alone in that. You know, I've been blessed in my life with good, good friends with whom I can be transparent. I have friends, they know everything about me. And by the way, that is why sometimes when I have uh, friends who are visiting here and I, tell, I always tell them, don't, don't tell them. <laughs> shut, shut up, right? Keep your mouth shut, right? 
They know about when I was 16 and when I was 24. And, you know, they know all of that, right? And that's important for us to have people like that in our lives, people with whom we can be transparent. Finally then, proclaim the righteousness and the mercy of Christ. Hypocrites want to proclaim themselves. No, we proclaim Christ. Acknowledge Christ. Acknowledge our need for him, the need we had for him, the need we still have for him, and tell him and point others to him, not ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, there is not a single one of us here in this room who perfectly upholds and fulfills all of the righteous requirements of your law. We need a Savior. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. We thank you through faith in him as we repent and turn away from sin. We turn to him and embrace him. We thank you that in him, Lord, he is our righteousness, that he perfectly obeyed the law for us, that he gave his life as a sacrifice for us. He took the judgment for our sins upon himself. He died and he rose again, and he is the conquering lion of Judah, Lord, who is going to raise us one day, raise these, these mortal bodies and transform them that we might live forever and rule and reign with him in resurrected glory and a new heaven and a new earth. We thank you, Lord, for that. So I pray then, Lord, for us that as we go forth from here that we would endeavor to beware hypocrisy, to seek honesty, integrity, and transparency with one another, to acknowledge you, to fear you, but not to be afraid because you are love and merciful and gracious, but to fear your holiness and your righteousness, to acknowledge you, to walk faithfully with you and with integrity before others. Help us, Lord, to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.